What is up, my friends, and welcome to the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your favorite team every single day. I hope you're all doing well. I hate to admit it, but uh, I'm actually feeling pretty good today because I am in my house all alone for the first time in months. My wife and our three children are off at a cottage with her folks, and so I have basically... I don't know, 30 hours to myself, and I am very excited, although I do have to work uh, just to yeah, record a podcast, drink some cider, uh, watch some Halt and Catch Fire later on, read on the deck, listen to music, all those kinds of things. So it's a nice little break for me, although I am excited to see my family again. I, ha- I haven't seen our kids since uh, Sunday. Uh, but it's been a very nice break after the craziness that has been quarantine in the COVID-19 era. Anyways, uh, I should say off the top that uh, my name is Ian McLaren. I'm the host of this podcast and have been so since the beginning. This is episode 180, I believe. No, some I don't know. That's dumb. What is it? Let me check. Episode 100. And, oh my gosh, my memory is terrible. 172, way off. Anyways, and uh, you can find this podcast wherever podcasts can be downloaded. Uh, Apple, Spotify, Stitcher, Google, Pocket Casts is where I get mine. Uh, If you subscribe, each new episode will be automatically uploaded to your feed for you to rate No, not, well, yes, please rate and review, but also to download, listen, and enjoy. Uh, You can find the show on Twitter at LO underscore Boston Bruins, where I try to share some team news and some jokes along the way as well. You can also find me at Ian C. McLaren. Uh, What else? You can access the podcast by using uh, Google or Alexa smart device, and you can... Also, email me at LockedOnBostonBruins at gmail.com. I think that's pretty much it by way of introduction. Introduction uh, On today's podcast, please excuse me for fumbling over my words here, first of all. Um, it's very hot up here today, and uh, I am feeling it. Anyways, today's podcast, I want to update the latest in terms of uh, the NHL and the NHLPA's uh, agreement on the collective bargaining side of things as they continue to work towards a return to play, uh, not proposal, but actual action plan. Uh, The other day we went through kind of the protocols as it pertains to the bubbles that they'll be in, in Edmonton and Toronto. And now there's some more developments, so we'll get to that. I'm also going to talk about my favorite Bruins trades of the post-2005 lockout era. Uh, Something that was suggested to me by a fan on Instagram, and I really appreciated that. And then just some news and notes from around the NHL. So first, it was announced uh, last night, I believe, that the NHL and the NHLPA have reached a Memorandum of Understanding. That's what MOU stands for, if you're confused about that on Twitter. And this agreement is on a return-to-play plan and a CBA that adds four years to the current agreement. 
This is now subject to approval by both parties. And what that, many people have said it, but it only took a global pandemic for the NHL to avoid another lockout, of which we have had a couple in recent years. Obviously, the season of 2004-2005, that was completely wiped out, and then a shortened season in 2013. Uh, So this will take us through 2025-26 with labor peace between the NHL players and the owners. And it also includes player participation at the 2022 and 2026 Winter Olympics, which is very exciting uh, to see another best-on-best tournament, which we haven't seen since the World Cup of Hockey a few years ago. Like I mentioned, the agreement is now subject to approval by the NHL's Board of Governors as well as the players. In a very hard-to-read graphic, the NHLPA tweeted last night that on Tuesday, July 7th, the NHL's executive board approves sending a tentative agreement to a membership vote. So that would be the uh, players who represent each of the 31 teams. You remember we had this vote uh, several weeks ago along the lines of the return to play plan, and a couple teams voted against it. But as far as I know, um, it was unanimous on the CBA side of things. Today, Wednesday, July 8th, player ratification voting window opens. So that means it'll now be opened up to each player in the NHLPA to vote for. They'll have until Friday, July 10th to vote. Uh, A secret ballot will be conducted electronically. And then on July 10th, after that window is closed, the NHLPA will announce its decision. Now, Pending that decision, players will also have a couple days after that to announce whether or not they're going to opt out of Phase 3 and Phase 4 at no penalty to them, meaning uh, you know players can choose to sit out the training camp and uh, qualifying round and the Stanley Cup playoffs uh, penalty-free, meaning they won't be suspended or that won't be held against them, uh, on paper at least. And so over the weekend, I guess we might see some news trickling in on that front. But for a Boston Bruins, I don't expect um, anyone to opt out. Um, I know Tukarask has a young infant as well as two other kids, uh, but I I wouldn't expect that he'll opt out. Um, And, you know, Zdeno Chara and Patrice Bergeron have been leading the voluntary workouts and kind of the leadership group that they have established. They are at the forefront of that, and I'm sure everyone will follow suit. Um, So stay tuned for further news on that. And uh, yeah, I mean, it very much looks like we're on our way towards players actually playing hockey again this year, which I wasn't sure was going to happen. I'm still not convinced it's going to go off without a hitch. But uh, the, the decision to host uh, the games in Toronto and Edmonton is clearly a good call based on how COVID-19 has been handled up here in Canada compared to the States. And, um, you know, there's still some concern, obviously, with COVID-19 being passed between players and positive tests. But uh, I think of all the sports 
the NHL is best positioned for success if they're going to pull this off. Emily Kaplan of ESPN says she's told the most likely plan for the NHL is to have three games a day in each of the hub cities. I guess that would be for the qualifying round and at least the first round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Obviously, less teams means less games as we get deeper, but uh, there'd be games at 12 p.m., 4 p.m., and 8 p.m. in Toronto and Edmonton. So based on the time difference there, it would be games starting at 12, 2, 4, 6, 8, and 10, uh, which would be amazing if there are some overtimes. There's going to be overlap either way, but um, it's a far cry from Augusts that we're used to in the hockey world where it's basically free agency leftovers and PTOs. Um, so that will be pretty awesome hockey wise if it does happen. And again, I want to reiterate the safety of the players and everyone involved is a priority. Uh, so as long as it can happen in that context, then, uh, you know, I'm all for it. Now, one reason to repair and maintain your own car is to save money that you can then use for other important things like your mortgage or groceries. Why would you choose to spend 30, 50, 100% more for the exact same auto parts at a chain store or a new car dealership? If you go to rockauto.com, you know you can trust them because they are a family-owned business. They've been serving auto parts customers online for 20 years. They have everything that you could possibly need for every make and model. Best of all, the prices are always reliably low and the same for professionals as well as do-it-yourselfers. If you go to rockauto.com right now and see all the parts available for your car or truck, please write Locked On in their How Did You Hear About Us box so that they know that we sent you. Amazing selection, reliably low prices, all the parts your car will ever need at rockauto.com. So I mentioned the other day that my favorite trade in Bruins history is the one that brought Cam Neely to town, via the Vancouver Canucks. Today, I just wanted to look at some more recent trades, maybe the last 16 years or so, and some of the best ones that helped shape uh, the team as it exists now. The first one, and uh, I'm looking at NHLTradeTracker.com, which is a great resource uh, to look back at uh, trades and what the picks were and who, and who those picks became. There was a trade made on June 26, 2004. I'm guessing it was around the draft. And the Bruins acquired a second-round pick from the San Jose Sharks, a second-round pick that year, in exchange for a third-round pick, a fourth-round pick, and a ninth-round pick in the same year. Now, obviously, the Bruins seem to have had their eye on someone and wanted to move up in the draft. And uh, they hit a home run with this one as that second round pick, which was 63rd overall, became David Krejci. Now the picks that went to San Jose, the third round pick was used to select Thomas Grace. It was pretty good in hindsight. Jason Churchill was the fourth round pick. Never heard of him. Brian Mahoney Wilson was the ninth round pick. So a huge success for the Bruins with that move and uh, obviously, it paid off uh, to uh, move up in that deal. Uh, maybe I'll revisit some of the bad trades because as I'm scrolling through, I see uh, ones that are popping through here <laughs> that I really hated. But um, 
Let's look at one from 2006. The Bruins acquired Marty Reisner, Jan Statsny, and a second-round pick in 2006 in exchange for former Rookie of the Year Sergei Samsonov, who was sent to the Edmonton Oilers. Reisner and Statsny, you know, marginal NHL players, but that second-round pick was used to select Milan Lucic, who we all know was a huge part of Boston's uh, Stanley Cup win in 2011 and uh, the run in 2017, 2017, 2013 as well. Uh, So that one paid off huge. Now, June 24th, 2006 is where we get really serious. The Toronto Maple Leafs sent the rights to Tuka Rask to the Boston Bruins straight up for Andrew Raycroft. Now, with all due respect to Andrew Raycroft, another Calder Trophy winner, that uh, is just unbelievable for the Boston Bruins in hindsight. Obviously, at that point, Rask was still a prospect. Raycroft had a bit of a proven track record, and the Leafs were banking on uh, Justin Pogge becoming a bona fide NHLer after he had backstopped uh, the Canadian World Junior Team to glory. Uh, but yeah, that was a swing and a huge whiff for the Maple Leafs, as we all know that Tukarask has become the winningest goalie in Bruins history. He has his name on the cup from 2011 and has helped the Bruins reach the final twice more in 2013 and 2019. Uh, Would have been the Smythe Trophy winner had Boston won um, Game 7 last year. Now another pick swap occurred in 2006, same day that uh, Rask was acquired. The Bruins, I guess, moved up again. They sent the fourth-round pick. And their fifth-round pick in 2006 to the New York Islanders for a third-round pick, which was used to select Brad Marchand, 71st overall. Those picks sent to the Islanders turned into James Delery and Shane Sims. Boom. A huge win for the Bruins in that trade. Obviously, with these draft pick swaps, you never really know what you're going to get. And we have the gift of hindsight at the moment. So both those trades involving well, the trades involving uh, moving up in the draft for Krejci and Marshawn paid off huge. Trading Samsonov for a pick that turned into Lucic well, ended up being very productive as well. Now speaking of bad trades, which I mentioned I wasn't going to touch on, but Wayne Primo and Brad Stewart were two pieces that were acquired in the trade for Joe Thornton in 2005. Those two were flipped to the Calgary Flames a couple years later in a trade that brought uh, both Chuck Kobasu, who was a decently talented winger, as well as Andrew Ference to town. And I spoke a couple months ago about the 2011 team and, and how key uh, Ference was on the ice and in the locker room after his experience losing with the Flames in the Stanley Cup final to the Tampa Bay Lightning in 2004. Uh, so that was a huge uh, win for the Bruins, although you know, comes on the heels of a massive loss in the trade department for the Bruins, uh, losing Joe Thornton to the uh, San Jose Sharks. But I guess they were able to uh, make some sort of lemonade out of those lemons in the form of Andrew Ference. Let's jump to 2008, where June 24th, the Bruins 
kind of a draft they deal acquired Johnny Boychuk from the Colorado Avalanche in exchange for Matt Hendricks. Thank you, Colorado. That's a huge win for the Bruins. Uh, a year later, March 4th, 2009, Bruins acquired Mark Recchi from the Tampa Bay Lightning for Martins Carsons and Matt Lashoff. Huge win for the Bruins. Big part of the success that they would go on to have. Now, jumping ahead a couple years, uh, within the span of uh, a few months, the Bruins really uh, took advantage of a Florida Panthers team that didn't really seem to know what it was doing at the time. So on March 3rd, 2010, the Bruins acquired Dennis Seidenberg as well as the rights to Matt Bartkowski from the uh, Panthers in exchange for Byron Bitts, Craig Weller, and a second-round pick that turned into Alex Petrovich. Seidenberg, key member of the 2011 team, as we all know. To make matters worse, the Bruins sent... Uh, Dennis Weidman, a first-round pick in 2010, and a third-round pick in 2011 to the Panthers for both Gregory Campbell and Nathan Horton. Now, it seemed at the time like uh, uh, maybe a steep price to pay as Weidman uh, was a very offensively proficient defenseman for the Bruins. He led the team in points in the 2010 Stanley Cup playoffs, I believe, and then to throw a first-round pick in there was risky as well. Thankfully, uh, you know, Horton and Campbell went on to be very important players for the Bruins in 2011-2013, uh, and the Panthers really whiffed on that draft pick considering with the 15th overall pick, which is what that uh, selection amounted to, they selected Derek Forbort, and the 16th overall pick was St. Louis Blues, and they picked Vladimir Tarasenko. So in hindsight, again, uh, that trade looks pretty good for the Bruins, but if that pick had been used to select um, Tarasenko, then maybe it doesn't look as favorably for the Bruins, or just the fact that they could have held on to that pick and Weidman and selected Tarasenko. Who knows, but we all know... Horton and Campbell have their names on the Stanley Cup. So, again, with the gift of hindsight, uh, doesn't look too bad for the Bruins. Now, in more recent years, there hasn't really been too many trades that have been kind of clear winners or have helped the team get over the top, per se. There's a couple of questionable trades. Um, Dougie Hamilton, for one. Um, Jimmy Hayes, for another. Um, but... You know, I'm really happy with the trade that brought Charlie Coyle to town for Ryan Donato and a fifth-round pick to the Minnesota Wild. Uh, I really loved the Andre Kasha trade for David Backus, Axel Anderson, and a 2020 first-round pick, although we don't know who that's going to be used for. Those are two, two deals that I think have set the Bruins up for success over the next couple of years. Um, so that you know, has been positive for the Bruins. Let me know what you think. Any deals that I missed and uh, just uh, hit me up at LO underscore Boston Bruins or at Ian C. McLaren. Let's finish up today with some interesting comments from Jake DeBrusque's agent in regards to whether or not 
his player would be willing to take a hometown discount to uh, help the Bruins and kind of where his valuation is at. Now, this is all coming from uh, Joe Haggerty of NBC Sports Boston, who picked it up from comments made out west in uh, Edmonton um, by the Brusque's agent. First of all, Edmonton Oilers radio analyst Bob Stoffer. he was on an NBC Sports Zoom call last week, and he said he believes... DeBrusque is a $6 million a year player. He said, I think Jake is a really good top six forward, top six winger. You guys saw him against the Maple Leafs and the Blues in the playoffs. He's got a little bit of gamesmanship to him. It's interesting because he was such a late bloomer. The player I compared Jake to was Joffrey Lupul, who suddenly became a scoring star in junior hockey. To me, I think Jake is a five and a half to $6 million player. Maybe that money comes down a bit because of the cap, but I think he's a $6 million forward. He's a guy that's going to be capable of scoring 25 to 30 goals in a full season. That's a $6 million forward to me. Now, I don't necessarily disagree about his ceiling as, maybe not his ceiling as a 25 to 30 goal player. Um, and, of course, his playoff performance in years past the reality is DeBrusque did take a step back this season, which will surely hurt his, um, you know, his leverage as as a budding star, per se. He was on track for um, 23 goals in 77 games if he had been able to stay healthy until the end of the season. He had only 19 through 65 games to date. You know, he has come up big against the Maple Leafs in the past in those um, playoff series, first-round playoff series, and he did play pretty well against the uh, St. Louis Blues as well. But having said that, again, he did take that step back this season, which will almost certainly affect the what Boston might be willing to give him as a restricted free agent. Again, in the playoffs, he did only have one goal and one assist actually against the Leafs. And he had one goal and three assists uh, against the Blues. Four goals, seven assists. Uh, So not really a top flight performer in the playoffs last season. Bob Stauffer, again, he is Edmonton Oilers radio analyst. Nebraska is from Edmonton. I'm sure he's friendly with his dad, Louis, so that might be kind of where that bias is coming from. Stoffer then had DeBrusque's agent, Rick Vallette, on his radio show on Monday to talk about negotiations between DeBrusque and the Bruins, and it certainly didn't seem as though DeBrusque was going to put himself in position to take a hometown discount like some other Bruins players have done in the recent past. Vallette said, I don't really consider that at this point. Will it play into it? Maybe. This is him asking or answering when asked about the internal salary structure for the Bruins that sees Bergeron, Pasternak, Marchand, all on pretty team-friendly deals under $7 million per season. He continued, I would hope not. That's not how typically I would approach it. The one thing I would add to Jake is that you look at his playoff performances and what he's done in the playoffs in big games. 
The Toronto series from a couple years ago, for example, he's a big game performer and he's been a top six forward almost from the moment he stepped into the NHL. Boston certainly has some internal things that they like to look at, but I'm going to try to not look at that. I guess that's the way I would say it to you. So DeBrusque camp really seems to be uh, hanging their hats on that uh, two-goal performance that Jake DeBrusque had in Game 7 against the Maple Leafs back in 2018. That was in his rookie season where he recorded 16 goals, 27 assists for 43 points, which is a career high to date, I should add. He followed that up with 27 goals and 15 assists in 68 games last season, which, uh, you know, very promising, looking to make a push for 30 goals. Very possible if he had played in all 82, but then taking a step back uh, this season for sure with only 19 goals and 35 total points in 65 games. So looks like his agent is really going to push for maximum value for uh, contracts comparable to forwards from the 2015 draft class. We have Brock Besser, who's signed a three-year $17.625 million deal. So that's a 5.875 AAV. Travis Konechny, he'll have a $5.5 million AAV on a six-year deal that he signed with the Flyers. And Kyle Connor signed a seven-year $50 million deal, so $7.142 million, although he has already reached the 30-year mark in his career. So this could be a very interesting talking point uh, after hockey resumes as we head into whatever the offseason is going to be like. We know Tori Krug needs to be resign well not needs to be but we would like that to happen and Bjork and Grizzlick are also RFA so um, what leverage will Jake DeBrusque have how will he use it and will his agent really push for maximum value on a down year it will really depend on if he's able to step up in the playoffs if he does uh, that's obviously a boon to the Bruins in their hopes for a cup and you know yeah score all the goals you want Jake DeBrusque I'd love to see that Stanley Cup come to Boston once again. But the flip side of that is he could uh, elevate his value and really make things difficult for the Bruins in a flat cap world. So, uh, yeah, interesting stuff. Something to keep an eye on, which I will continue to do here on the Locked On Boston Bruins podcast. Thanks so much for tuning in today. We'll be back on Friday and with another new episode. Until then, stay safe, my friends. Take care of yourselves. And uh, now go and check out the Locked On NHL podcast. Always a great listen. Peace.